welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Karen Hamill, regulatory expert and trainer for Hale & Hardy, about challenges involved in training safety professionals. This episode was recorded live last week as part of the EHS Now Online Summit. And now, on to the interview. Hello, everyone. My name is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. Welcome back to the virtual EHS Now Summit. Thanks for joining us for our first EHS on Tap live session. This is a live recording of the EHS on Tap podcast. You can find new episodes every Tuesday wherever you get podcasts, and you can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. Um, before we kick off, I'd just like to let you know that you can find all of our housekeeping items in the resource widget. Uh, I recommend opening that up and familiarizing yourself with the platform. And now please join me in welcoming our guest, Karen Hamill, regulatory expert and trainer at Hale & Hardy. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Jay. Um, and before we kind of uh, jump into the interview, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Hale & Hardy. For Hale & Hardy is a manufacturer of absorbents to clean up oil spills in the rain. So kind of kind of a niche market, and it's something that we have discovered through a lot of years of experience working in the spill industries that a lot of spills happen when it's raining. So, so looking specifically for help for anybody who's working outdoors in those environments. Specifically what I do is environmental health and safety. I've got about 27 years in the field and working at Hill and & Hardy and, and with another company as well. Uh, just helping customers, helping clients work through their different safety and environmental needs. So looking at problems and looking at solutions that they could implement to help keep their workforce safer and help protect the environment. Great. Well, today we're going to talk about training safety professionals. Um, and I guess let's to start off, when it comes to training, how important is it to document what you've done in the past? I think that it's extremely important to document what you've done in the past. It doesn't mean that you need to stay in a rut. It doesn't mean that you need to do what you've always done before. In fact, that's probably a recipe for disaster. But by having the things documented that you've done before and having that history, having that to go back and say, okay, this is what we tried in the past. This is what went well from it. And this is, these are the areas that failed. So having that information available, I think is important for, for both seasoned professionals as well as those who are just getting started in the field because it gives you that start, starting point and it gives you that reference to, to kind of explore and to, to learn more, to learn from and to learn where you can go in the future. And it's not necessarily just things that have been documented for your particular facility. This can also be things that you find from trade groups. This can be things that you find from, from history books. It's just having that, that, re, that reference and that resource to know what has traditionally worked in the past and those areas that you can, can explore and where you may be able to to improve something that hasn't been done before or improve upon something that has already been tried. Yeah, because I imagine even if you want to take a whole different direction, 
you don't necessarily want to just scrap everything and, and start from, you know, from zero. You want to kind of be able to, to look at what you've done and sort of evaluate it to see if, you know, if there, like you said, if there are pieces that you can kind of put into what your new, your new program. Exactly. And even if you do decide to scrap the entire thing, you have a basis for that. You've got a rationale. You can say, look, none of this worked. This is this is something that we tried and it failed miserably. And and there are those times. There are those times where something has been created and you know, who knows, it was created in a vacuum or it was created for yeah. one business unit and it worked well there, but it doesn't translate to another business unit. There are a lot of reasons why you could want to scrap something entirely, but having that information gives you that sound basis for having a new starting point and having having that point to jump off and say, look, time out, we need to stop, we need to create something new. And, and I think that's where having that information is very valuable because it, it gives you that rationale. It gives you that that solid analysis to say, look, this didn't work. Our workforces nowadays are more diverse than ever, whether it's generational, uh, you know, global, if you got different kinds of people. Um, what's the best way to train diverse workforces? I think... It's been really neat to see, especially in the past five years, how that area of training has really, really grown. And it's something that I think as safety professionals, we're a lot more aware of today than we were five or 10 years ago. And it's definitely important to recognize that there is a diverse workforce. There, you, you can't train somebody who's just coming into the field and is very, very new to the profession, the same way that you've trained people who have been around for 20 years. And I think for so long, I, I know when I got into the field, this was the training manual. This was the the slide, well, slide. I, I even got into it before slide decks were really a thing, but the, these were the slides that you threw into the projector and, and projected onto the wall. And they're the same ones mm -hmm. that we've used for 10 years. And, and the guy in the back of the room is groaning because he knows what's coming next and he's seen that slide 20 times. Right. So I think as as we've come to recognize that as safety professionals, it has allowed us to create trainings that are more diverse and that are better, not only for, for the person who's been there 20 years, but also for, for that new person and, and recognizing that we learn a lot differently than we used to, where an older workforce is able to sit down and focus on something for 30 or 40 minutes, recognizing the new things that we can do with training now that breaks a session down into two or three minute segments, something that's more engaging, having people do things and having, I think it's been really neat to watch also having, instead of sitting somebody in a classroom for three days, having them be in their workspace and having them actually do things as they're training, supervised of course, but involving mm -hmm. them in that training process has been a great way to recognize that these these workforces are more diverse. One thing that, that scared me to death when I was younger in the field was looking at having to do training in multiple languages and having to it really recognize, okay, I can't try my 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 Spanish is elementary at best and to be able to to do a training in Spanish was was just not going to be in my wheelhouse unless I really really worked on that skill a lot more than than I had in in the past and fortunately that was the only only language I would ever 
need to bridge. I didn't have to go into 10 or 12 languages, but recognizing the importance of doing that and recognizing those cultural differences that just because he's sitting there shaking his head doesn't mean that he understood you. And right. that was something that, it, especially as a young safety professional, that, oh, they're, they're nodding their head, they understand. No, they really don't. And, and getting over that, that hump and recognizing that, fortunately, there are resources that you can use and, and there are a lot of free resources that you can take advantage of to, to bridge those gaps and to make sure that no matter who you've got, whether it's somebody new, somebody old, somebody from uh, a different cultural background, whatever those differences are, that you are able to train them, train them well, so that they can stay safe, so that they they do, they are able to comprehend what you're saying and they are able to implement it and demonstrate that they have understood what you have taught them. Would you recommend using different approaches for different audiences, uh, you know, depending on, you know, because obviously like you mentioned, you know, learning styles are different from for younger generations as opposed to, you know, older ones. You know, would you try two different kinds of trainings depending on who it is, or is it just sort of a combination to it so you can hit everybody? One thing that I have had a lot of success with is doing gap analysis. So looking at not, of course, if you have a brand new employee, you want to put them through a full training. You want you want to have that that great onboarding process that gets them the knowledge they need so that they they can be safe or they they can learn what they need to learn. But after that, one thing that I've had success with is is doing a gap analysis and looking at okay, this is what I need people to know from this training and sort of giving almost like a pretest and then focusing directly on what that specific learner needs to know as opposed to sitting everybody through the same exact training that guy who's done it 20 times is going to be bored. That person who's, right. who's brand new has maybe has a greater need. So looking at that gap analysis and really tailoring training, and yes, that can mean more time spent in training for you because you may need to do three or four different trainings, but I feel that there is value in that. I, I don't see a lot of value in giving the same, giving everybody the same training all the time because it's not addressing what they need. And, and that's how training gets a bad name in, in some cases where you know, yeah. they made me sit through this training again. I've said, I can, I can give this training. Fantastic. You know what? Maybe you should give that training because <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way for you to know where, where your gaps are as well. So it's that like you've that got is a job. <laughs> exactly. You, you know what? Why don't, why don't you do this section of the training? And, and that's something <laughs> that actually works very well is getting those, those more seasoned employees involved with the training. Um, but you have to be careful with that because you want to make sure that they're, they're teaching the safe way and the, the actual way that yeah. you want something done, the way that has been documented that you should do it, as opposed to um, their opinion of what it is. But when you get the right person doing that, um, you know, it's kind of an old adage that the best way to learn something is to teach it. So that that is something, that's something that I have used in the past is, is to get those people involved so that they are uh, they're learning from their peers. They're, they're learning from people that they work with. And also it involves them. And then they're not the ones sitting there being bored in that training. They're actually teaching it to somebody who does need to know, who does have that knowledge gap that, that needs to be filled. So I, I do feel that there's value in tailoring trainings and not delivering the same one to everybody. I know that's hard. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned sort of, you know, the sort of 
you're going to have folks who just sort of nod their heads, even though they may not necessarily understand. How do you test to make sure that they actually are absorbing what you want them to? I, that's something that I had to come to learn as, as a trainer, because I, I would sit there and they'd nod their heads and they'd all leave and then they would do it wrong anyway. And <laughs> that was, uh, as as I studied to as I studied to become a CIT, a certified instructional trainer, one of one of my big learnings was incorporating that demonstration of knowledge. So not just not and, and not necessarily just a, a pencil and paper test, actually taking the time to have people demonstrate what you've taught them. So for example, if you're doing lock lockout tag out, going out into the field and having them go through the process and that might mean using job aids. So, so giving them a job aid, giving them a checklist, giving them whatever they need to do it, but actually going out and watching them perform a task or do, do something correctly. And I learned the value of how important that was as in addition to that classroom training. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do it. It could be a supervisor that, that you trust that's demonstrated that, you know, they're on board with, with doing procedures safely. It could be, a shift supervisor, it could be yeah, a vice president, whoever it happens. Hey, froze up a little bit there. Um, oh, sorry well, about let's, that. That's all right. It's not your fault. Um, but speaking of, of which, let's talk about technology. Um, how do you balance the need to keep up with technology while waiting to see if it you know makes sense? Look at every time a new iPhone comes out. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants the newest, mm -hmm. greatest thing. And uh, when when iPhones were new, sort of the first generations of iPhones came out, there were a lot of bugs with them, a lot of things that hadn't been worked out. And, and I see that a lot with new technologies is that, wow, this looks great, this sounds great, but it, does, it won't integrate with our current system. It won't integrate mm -hmm. with our current interface. Wow, this is, a, this is a great new safety program. This is great new software, but it doesn't integrate. So, and, and I think even though I think we all genuinely want the best things for our employees, there are a lot of great things with AI right now. There are a lot of great things with, with exoskeletons. There, there are a lot of great new technologies that are really helping the safety field and, and helping with safety trainings, helping with overall safety within a facility. But I think that we as safety professionals need to do a good evaluation of those, those technologies and make sure that we are using them because we have really, like you would do a hazard analysis, you're really looking at those things from a high level view and deciding, is this what my, my people need? Is this really good? Is this going to move the needle? Is this going to really reduce my risk? Not just, wow, this is the latest, greatest gadget. So we need to have it. Um, because, and, and also when you look at it, all those latest, greatest gadgets, how long do some of them last <laughs> before they're, they're replaced with something new? Where if, if you're using them to fill a gap or to fill a need or to reduce a specific risk, fantastic. If you're using it just because it's the newest thing and you can't really justify it other than that, then maybe it's time to just say, okay, you know what? Let's let this go a little bit longer. If, if we're not reducing our risk significantly with it, if this isn't significantly helping our workforce or really you know, taking us to a new level, maybe we need to let mm -hmm. that sit for a little bit and, and come back to it in six months or a year and see if that's still something that we want to, to evaluate.
There's a lot of great stuff out there. And yeah. uh, it's just hard to, to, to know for certain which one it is. And, and having having a criteria for that new new evaluation of technology, having having some benchmark to say, yes, this is new. Yes, we'll look at it. But we want to make sure that it's going to do something valuable for us before we implement it. And there's also the cost factor too. I mean, if you, Absolutely. You know, it's a significant investment. So, you know, if you, if you just spend the money without ensuring that it actually is useful to you, then, you know, that could be a problem. And you're probably not going to get that budget again next year. So no. <laughs> you want to make sure that, that you, you use that budget wisely if you're going to make a big investment in it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about skills development, uh, developing new skills. What are the consequences of not being able to or not needing to demonstrate those skills regularly? That's something that I think I, I've seen it a lot. And when you look at, at safety professionals, a lot of people have gotten thrown into that field, especially in, in my generation. So looking at the, the generation after the boomers, as they started to move into different fields, a lot of us got thrown into, hey, you did this really well. Why don't you take on safety too? And we didn't necessarily have any background in safety coming into it. And, and I find that a lot, especially with small companies and small to medium-sized companies, is you, you get somebody who has been assigned those safety duties and they'll take it and run with it. And they, they become great safety professionals, but they may also do 30 other things as well for a company. Right. And while that's great, uh, and this is, this is something that, that I looked at it at a different job as well is, okay, I was great with safety. I took on environmental. I, I, I became good at that. And then like, well, why don't you take quality too? Well, <laughs> <laughs> not that I couldn't take quality, but... I knew that if I would do that, I would either spread myself so thin that I couldn't do other things well, or I would not do quality enough that I would be able to to do it well. So that's that's something I think that we all need to recognize with ourselves is even though we may be curious and we may want to learn more, we need to look at whether or not we have the bandwidth for everything and, and to keep, to keep the, the balls in motion that we already have in motion, to keep those, those, everything that we're juggling. And if we take on something new, are we going to be able to take it on at the level that it needs to be sustained at, as opposed to just saying, okay, yes, I learned this new thing. I learned how to do quality, but I don't use it enough. And now the quality person is on maternity leave. Oh, you were trained for that. Oh, you know what? It's been three years since I had that skill, and and really look at any skill that you have. I I before I had children, I took scuba diving lessons, and I was going to go scuba diving every week, and it was going to be wonderful. <laughs> I haven't been scuba diving for twenty years, so would it be responsible for me to go scuba diving right now without relearning that? Probably not. So right. even though we may have learned a skill and developed a skill, if it's just like learning a language or anything else. Um, if we're going to learn it, it's important that we keep up with that skill and use it regularly. So don't wait for that person to go on maternity leave before you do quality. Maybe do that every every other Friday or, or do it. Have a schedule if you're going to develop a skill so that you can keep it up and it is a skill that it, that is going to continue to be valuable for you. 
and you don't just spend time learning something that eventually is going to be lost. Use. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, training transient workforces, how do you avoid burnout, um, you know, from training those, you know, those types of workforces? That's a, that's a tough one because I, I forget where I first heard it, but the, the, there was somebody who, who said that, I, I forget how it went, but basically the, the gist of it was we, we don't want to spend time training these people because they're just going to leave in three months anyway. But what happens if you don't train those people and they stay? Uh, and, and that's something that we can never, it's never safe to assume that these people aren't going to stay. We, we do know that with this, the, the newest generation of workers coming in, they don't stay as long as previous generations mm -hmm. with, within, a, within a workforce. They do tend to become more transient. Even, even if they're somebody, they just graduated, they're looking for a new job, chances are this isn't gonna be the job that they stick with for five, 10, 20 years like former generations did. So we still definitely have to train them and we have to train them with the same zeal. How do you avoid burnout? So look for ways to look for ways that you can have on the job training and, and use other people for the training. Just because you have a transient workforce doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do all the training for them. There, there are some things that can be automated. So look at ways to use an onboarding system that incorporates video or use an onboarding system that involves shadowing. So look for that, that seasoned employee or look for that supervisor, look for somebody else who's able to give them things that they need within their, their job. So if they're working in a manufacturing facility, that could be having somebody shadow that person and working through daily procedures as, instead of saying, okay, this is our procedure for ABC and we're going to one, two, three, four, five. And mm -hmm. having them sit through a training like that, they're just going to need to learn that again once they get onto the floor. So instead of sitting them down for it, have them demonstrate it, have them, have them go through it in the field as opposed to looking at something that, okay, we've got a six day onboarding process because we need to get through all these modules. What, which one of those can be automated? And, and when you do that, then you'll find that, yes, there are still some things that need to be a classroom training that I need to sit down with these people and teach them, but I don't need to teach them all 30 of these things. 20 of these things can be sent out and, and done live in their space or, or within, their, within their work area, as opposed to a traditional training that we may have done for 20 years. Right. And you mentioned earlier, um, sort of, you know, the different learning styles and, you know, maybe splitting things up into smaller modules. Um, I mean, that seems, sounds like that would be a good thing to do with a, you know, if you've got 30 things you need to train, don't do it all at once. Right. That's something that I've been really excited about lately, lately is micro training. And that's something that I have done is look at my training modules and really if, you, if you've done a good job of breaking out your learning objectives, you can really take each one of those learning objectives, at least I found with, with trainings that I'm doing, is I break each one of those learning objectives out into a micro training. And then when I assess those skills, I can kind of connect something that somebody doesn't know to a certain learning objective. And then I just reteach that objective. 
and that can be as simple as a two minute video or a two minute demonstration. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not sitting those people through 30 minutes when they only need two minutes of that training. So if you've got five learning objectives, maybe you break that training session down into five micro learning modules. And that way it's something that anyone, if, if you've got a good system for your, for your training platforms and you've got the ability to maybe store those things on an internet site or even in the cloud, wherever you might store it, you can store those quick videos that you've made two, three minutes each and just have people access them when you need them. Oh, you know what? I don't remember that. I can go watch two minutes of that. I don't have to sit through a 45 minute training. I don't have to try to scroll through that 45 minute training to right. find exactly what I need. It, it does take time. But if you take one training module that you do at a time and you just break that one thing, one caution though, don't take your 45 minute training and just block out five minutes, redo it <laughs> and <specifically laughs> focus on each of those objectives. Don't just say, yeah. oh, well, this is the chunk about this learning objective. <laughs> that, that doesn't work very well, but, and, and that's why it does take a little bit of time. But if you break out each of those learning objectives and really focus on exactly what they need to know from that objective, you can usually fit that into a two or three minute module that is easy to digest and you can then use in so many different ways. You can use it for onboarding, you can use it for those those new transient workers, you can use it to reteach and, and you can use it just for review as needed. A lot of great ways, I, I'm really excited about the new micro training trend and the ways that it can be used for a lot of different training needs. Yeah, um, and speaking of burnout, um, how important is it to recognize that mental health isn't just for everyone else, but also for yourself? Super important, and that can be a hard lesson to learn. That can be because we're, we're usually focused on so much, oh, making sure that everybody is safe, making sure that everybody has what they need. And it, it is hard to step back and say, oh wait, I need a timeout too. That, that is something that uh, hopefully has come to the forefront for, for us as well. You know what, if other people need, need time away, we do as well. And, and recognizing that we, it, it, think, think about an airplane. What's, what do you hear every, every time you get onto an airplane? If, if pressure drops in, in the airplane, what's gonna happen? The mask is gonna fall. Put your mask on before you put somebody else's mask on. And right. remembering that as, as safety professionals that we can't take care of everybody else unless we take care of ourselves. And that can be as simple as taking five minutes at lunchtime and walking around the building. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we have to take a week off for vacation uh, every three months where that's great if you can fantastic yeah but right sounds pretty good to me <laughs> exactly <laughs> sounds great to me too but it, yeah. it can be as simple as and that's something that i had to learn because i would i i was notorious as as a young safety professional for uh, i've got to work through lunch i've got to get this done i've got to get this done but when i recognized that i need to take that five minutes i need to walk around the building i need to get a drink of water, whatever, just stepping away and just refreshing, refocusing is, is so important. So even, even if you have only got two minutes to do it, having that, mm. having that simple time to step away, refocus and, and help and, and keep yourself healthy, keep yourself. Yeah. 
calm, stable, whatever, whatever you need to do to, to keep yourself strong yeah. is important because we, we can't help anyone else unless we, we are in that state ourselves. All right. Well, we, we actually did get a question. This isn't uh, normally when I'm, I'm doing a podcast interview, there's nobody else able to ask a question, but um, we do have a question that kind of relates. So I'm going to ask it now. How can we train safety professionals coming out of college that do not have work experience and really don't understand the jobs or tasks that are being performed? I think one of the best ways I, I had this happen with, with a young safety professional, just came out of college, was so excited because he's a GSP now and, and this is his first job out of college and, and he had never set foot in a manufacturing facility before. So he had no, no frame for, for mm-hmm. he, he had heard about job hazard analysis. He had heard about lockout tagout. He had heard about Hascom. He'd heard about forklift safety, but he had never created a plan. He had never trained anybody. He had, he, he just, he, he was new, he was fresh. And it was, important to take the time to not sit him down the, the last I, I didn't sit him down and say okay look this is this is what we're going to do we're going to go through all these plans that we have we're going to sit down and read all these books no that 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 wouldn't have helped him actually getting him out into the field and having him meet with key people so meeting with the person who was in charge of different production lines, meeting the person who, meeting the shop foreman, meeting the person who was in charge of of distribution in the warehouse team, meeting those people and getting those networks established so that when he needed something, he had a face to go to. He had already established a rapport. That was one of the first things that I did with him. And then actually looking at what the people were doing in their jobs, as opposed to telling him, okay, this is a production line and we're making widgets. And when we make widgets, we need to be sure that we have our safety glasses on, but actually going and seeing those production lines and seeing the different processes that were taking place really helped him to put all of those things that he had learned for four years into perspective. So he could actually see and feel and touch and and do um, the things that he needed to do as opposed to looking at all the plans. Well, we're going to have to keep all 30 of these plans updated. Well, that's great, but I don't know. If he didn't have that frame to know what any of those plans were going to do, that that wouldn't have helped him as much. So that was actually, I think actually getting those new people into the field and taking that time to mentor them and show them things is much more helpful than just having them read a plan or create a plan or do a training first. Yeah. Well, Karen, uh, that's all the time we have today, but I want to thank you so much for being here and thanks to our audience for uh, joining in and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Jay. That wraps up episode 141 of VHS on tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Mm-hmm.